Welcome to This Week in Digital Trust, 11M's regular conversation about all things tech policy, privacy, AI, and cybersecurity. I'm Arj, joining you today from Awabakal country. And I'm Jordan, joining you from Wurundjeri country in Melbourne. And Arj, happy birthday. It's your birthday and this on this day that we're recording, and I have brought for you a special gift. Oh, I can't it, wait. What is it? It is, it is an Australian government interim response on the safe and responsible AI in Australia consultation. Oh, it's, wow. it's 25 pages. It's all for you on this special day. Amazing. Do you know... That is wonderful and uh, heartwarming and also a little bit depressing because, do you know, last week you said that you would, uh, because we had a chat about data brokers, you said you would bring me something, you know, a conversation starter, presumably based on what my data says about me and where that took you was to give me a government report for my birthday. What does my profile say? That that's that's what that's the kind of thing that gets me happy. It's it says you're into AI. So <laughs> someone yeah, the data, it's it's not hard for the data brokers to look through our back catalogue <laughs> of just true. how regularly we bump to this. We are discussing the Australian government's latest nudge forward on AI regulation. It is, I think it is a nudge forward. That's nudge is the right word, I right think. Word. <laughs> yeah. Interim, they're calling it an interim response. It's really a state, you know, a, a wrap up of the consultation that they did last year and a bit of a kind of pointer in the direction they're yeah. going, which yeah. is super useful, but it's not Still, like the answer or the end. No, of the no, it's not. It's not kind of, you know, uh, stop what you're doing kind of thing. But um, yeah, so interim response. So for those that haven't followed, the government opened a consultation middle of last year, June 2023, into safe and responsible AI. So this was kind of in the middle of the frenzy last year about, you know, our AI is going gangbusters. What we were a bit worried about certain things. What what a government's going to do? So the Australian government said, okay, well we're going to have an industry, a, an industry and a community consultation. They opened that up in June. They closed the submissions in August. Um, We did an episode on This Week in Digital Trust, um, number 76, if you want to check it out, which was looking at the responses. It was um, AI regulation in Australia, the ideas are in, and we kind of did a bit of a a wrap of what industry, community groups, academia was saying. Um, And then, of course, now we're at the point where um, as of uh, kind of last week, 17th of January, um, so two weeks ago by the time you listen to this, um, the government has now published this interim response. Yeah, and it's worth noting that the the actual consultation was, you know, this stuff's moving so fast, right? So mid-year last year, actually a lot's happened since then globally in terms of regulation, Um some of which we've talked about on the pod late last year, but the EU's finalised its Artificial Intelligence Act. Uh, So that's some sweeping regulation in the EU that's targeted risk-based regulation on artificial intelligence. Um, The US government or the the US president published an executive order on AI that's coordinating a whole lot of actions across US government on regulating and guiding and safe and responsible AI. And there was this global AI safety summit that we've also talked about on the pod and a kind of multi-country declaration and plan for safe global AI governance. So like all of that's happened since, you know, August in the, in the second half of last year since this submission. And so the interim response kind of acknowledges that. And in the context of that and in context of the responses they got kind of sets out the government's plan. So speaking of 
the the consultation itself, it was pretty popular. There's over 500 submissions, almost 20% of them were from individuals, which I think is really interesting. There's clearly kind of a lot of individual kind of care and interest in, in AI. It kind of indicates how this stuff cuts through to the mainstream. Um, they also ran a number of town halls, direct participation events. I turned up to one of the roundtables, expert roundtables they had in Melbourne, which was super interesting. So the, the, the views are in. Yeah, and I think that comment you make is what makes this interesting, this regulatory challenge interesting, the fact that there's such engagement from those different parts of the community, from, you know, 20% of individual submissions being from individuals, from academia, from industry, and everyone's kind of coming at that, uh, coming at it from their different place, you know, the, the sort of the AI opportunity from an industry perspective, you know, that sort of there's an industry element around wanting to protect and safeguard the ability to get all the benefits. And then at an individual level, I think obviously people are a little bit more worried about certain harms that are being well publicized. So, mm. an acad- you know, obviously academia kind of potentially on both sides of that coin, like, you know, what's sort of really cool and, and you know, forward thinking in terms of what AI could do, um, but also, mm. you know, that acad- academic angle around like, you know, how do we think carefully about risks and harms? So interesting to see how this process parses all that. Yeah, it's that's exactly right. The interim response report kind of does a good job of playing through that kind of argument for regulation. And I mean, we might kind of step through it here, but it's it's really kind of what you just said, right? There's there's plenty of benefits. There's, you know, AI can do all sorts of great stuff um, from medical imaging to, you know, forecasting emergencies to automating jobs that people don't want to do and so on. Um, but there are barriers to adoption. Uh, so, you know, some of those are like skills and in IT infrastructure and stuff. Some of those are like harms and risks from AI deployments that we've talked about a bunch on this podcast. And so, you know, the, the question is how do you get to those benefits whilst understanding and managing and engaging with those risks and harms? And we can dig into some of those. We've done it in the past on the pod, what exactly some of the risks and harms and benefits that are that came out of the consultation. But it gets to the point of this case for just broad calls for government to do more, to harness the opportunity. We need government action here um, to harness that kind of great opportunity of AI whilst managing the kind of sets of things that can go wrong and the capacity constraints as well. It's not just risks, it's, you know, skills and capacity constraints in in deploying this stuff. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to say about the identification of the harms, and as you said, we've talked about them at length, so we probably don't want to go into the details of all of them, but there's a couple of... um, different perspectives or prisms through which they present the harms. One is this idea of the life cycle of AI. So, you know, looking across, not just, not just looking at like the chat GPT, you know, the the, the guys developing that versus, you know, look at, look at the entire life cycle from the very early stage development and, you know, the collection and training of data through to how it's deployed and used. Um, but thinking about externalities like environmental costs and the labor and all of that. And so there's a, you know, a, a big life cycle. You can kind of probably go through our back catalog to see more detailed discussions, but um, I like the fact that they presented that. I love that they did that. Um, you know, we, we pushed that in our submission 
Um, and we, we also have talked about it on the pod before, but there's also a great little diagram on page 10 of the report if you want to check it out that I think they pulled from um, the uh, ARC Center for Excellence for Automated Decision-Making and Society, but their submission had this like just really neat picture that highlights where different risks appear in across you know early development, deployment, and use mm. of AI. Yeah, and, and then so then the other, so you're looking at the life cycle, you know, sort of left to right, if you like, but then there's this categorization of different kinds of harms that can happen as well. And the report talks about, you know, technical limitations. So this is like kind of bad, bad design, just technical failures of the AI. Um, the fact that it's unpredictable and opaque, so the black box kind of nature. And so if you're using it, you know, in ways that have meaningful impact on people's lives and you don't know why that's a problem. And then, you know, looking at different domains, like using it to, you know, exacerbate mis- disinformation, the systemic risks in becoming so embedded in our society and what that means. And then just the unforeseen nature of AI, it's moving so quickly. And this was kind of a slightly different categorization of harms than what I've seen in other reports. Like when we talked about the the UTS Human Technology Institute, they had a state of AI governance and they had a sort of a map of different ways of categorizing harms as kind of system failures and malicious and misleading use and overuse. And there, so there's this different taxonomy of harms, which can be a bit confusing to wrap your head around. But to me, it just means that we're getting a much more sort of evolved understanding of the risk profile. It's not just saying low risk to high risk, which it does that. It's looking at life cycle. It's looking at these different ways the harms manifest. And and I part of me is that we're still in that phase where slicing and dicing it from different ways is really giving us a sense of, well, what is the problem space before we jump into, oh, this is the regulatory model? Yeah, for sure. And it's really relevant to the regulatory model, right? Because the the way you want to regulate depends on the things that you can see going wrong, right? And I think this taxonomy here gives you, it, it helps you to distinguish between like whether the problem is just that the model sucks or that it'll give bad outcomes, say, and that is the case sometimes. We, we talk about this for facial recognition sometimes, right? Like the way that facial recognition systems fail often disadvantages particular minorities. So that's a problem to do with the technical limitations of the thing. But also we probably wouldn't become, that's not the only problem, right? If you could fix that problem, you could make facial recognition perfect and reliable. You have other problems. You have other systemic problems that flow and um, like with like, are we okay with people being identified you know, without their consent, without their engagement, we are we okay with the surveillance risk? So, like breaking them apart is, you know, is it a problem with the technical system? Is it a problem with the way it's deployed? Is it a problem? Some other problem, I think, really helps. Yeah, really helps think about the kinds of things that we need to worry about. The other thing I'd say, which I think I said when we talked about the discussion paper when it first came out and the consultation opened, was. Uh, it wasn't in that opening consultation, consultation paper, and it's not in this interim report, is a reference to existential risk and sentient AI, which I know it's, you know, it's probably maybe we've passed that point, but I feel like it's important to acknowledge still that, you know, this is kind of, this, this is grounded in the things that we're sort of not just facing now, but in the future, but sort of the, the things that are quite material and substantial and not getting distracted by 
you know, the existential kind of scenarios. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They kind of reluctantly gesture at that stuff in the context of the Bletchley Park Declaration, the yeah. the Global AI Safety Summit, which like a lot of that Safety Summit vibe was the existential risk. So they kind of say that, you know, Australian government will participate in that stuff, that global approach and, you know, as part of that is systemic and existential, but they, yeah, you're right. They, they focus, the focus is where we think it should be right, which is like back down on like actual today ways that these things can cause harm. Yeah, the cl- like the closest it probably gets to uh, maybe, you know, that I saw that it get, got to was a sort of just maybe a more, a sharper focus on frontier models, you know, mm. in the sense that this is sort of a, a, an additional category of risk that we need to really be looking at, and and so that might require targeted attention and and you know international collaboration. Yep. Moving on a bit, the, we've just been talking about the problem statement, really, essentially that the the interim response kind of sets out, says, look this is what we think and this is what we heard in the consultation, that there are benefits, there are barriers, there are harms. There's a real case for government intervention here. And so what are we going to do? And so the government response, which is the interesting bit, I guess, is kind of divided between three things, maybe four. It's a commitment or a commitment to exploring regulation, um, and there are a couple different types of regulation. So new guardrails for safety in high-risk context. We'll get to that in detail in a sec. Um, updates to existing laws uh, as well. So not just a new AI act or new AI requirements, but an examination of existing laws and how they need to be updated. And then this stream of the international engagement stuff that I just mentioned, the um, Bletchley Declaration and and kind of global AI governance participation and domestic investment committing with committing to kind of building that, fixing those capability bottlenecks, right? So, so there's kind of four steps, some regulatory, new regulatory, updated regulatory, international engagement, domestic investment. To me, it also reflected back the sort of the consensus of submissions in a way, which is that there's a, there seemed to be a consensus across all the groups, whether you're kind of industry, consume, academia, that volu- voluntary approaches alone are inadequate, particularly to guardrails and th- like particularly when they're talking about establishing guardrails for higher risk systems. Um, but then when you look at regulation, um, there's a, that's where it starts to sort of split a little bit. And, in, you know, it seemed to be that industry groups were saying, well, maybe we can regulate using existing approaches. And um, it was more sort of from consumer and academia that you started to hear, like, maybe we need a specific uh, bespoke AI kind of regulations. Yeah, that, that was a really interesting divide, right? That, you know, yeah, in industry wants you just to work within existing frameworks. They don't want another thing to track. And the yeah, the academics and the consumers are like, no, nah, no, nah, let's have a dedicated law. Yeah, yeah, which which I guess no no surprise in the sense that you know compliance burden of a new set of laws. Um, yeah. So new regulatory guardrails. The basic approach here that the government is proposing to investigate. They're not even committing to do it, but there's you know commitment to look at is essentially some rules for AI in high risk contexts, 
what does high-risk context mean, you ask? TBD, that's on the to-do list for the government as well, right? What, what exactly does high-risk mean? But there's some language in there about high-risk meaning where harms are difficult or impossible to reverse. So they're things like where, where it'll harm a person or where there's, um, I think the EU uses the term uh, legal law similarly significant impacts as well. I think that's in GDPR. So something like that, some definition of high risk and then some set of regulatory guardrails for high risk deployments and then no, importantly, no regulatory requirements here for other you know, if unless you're yeah. in a high risk, the government's avoiding that for the moment. Yeah, and so that and that's where the distinctions have been drawn with something like the EU AI Act, which is kind of much more broadly applied across all levels of risk. Whereas this is saying, if you're in high risk, we're going to look at some guardrails, uh, potentially mandatory guardrails for high risk systems. But if you're not, then there's a bunch of voluntary stuff we're going to work on and develop. But but th- there won't be any guardrails there, and the guardrails. Um, yeah, focus around testing, transparency and accountability. And there's some nice parallels there, I think, with some of the work that that's where you can see the government tapping into some of that international work as well, which is, you know, that both the executive order from the US and the UK summit kind of had announcements around testing and how you can kind of promote testing of high-risk systems so you can see that there's an opportunity there just to connect in and, and you know, build on that. Um, I actually like the fact that, they haven't tried to bog down this process at this point by trying to define high risk in this at this stage. It's just to say that that there will be something we need to work on and, and define what high risk means in and in the Australian context, which I think is important. Um, and so th- these guardrails will apply to that. But at this point, let's not get distracted on agreeing on what high risk is or not. Let's just agree that for high risk systems, these guardrails need to be in place. Yeah, which is what we were saying at the top about it's a set, of direction, right? That, you know, we're going to have requirements for high risk. We'll talk about what those requirements are and what high risk means uh, later. Uh, We'll engage, you know, further engagement, further consultation. Um, Yeah. And you mentioned a couple uh, uh, kind of informal or non-mandatory things around that. So for the lower risk or the broader application, they're looking at developing some industry standards and, um, you know, exploring watermarking for generative AI. So, you know, a way of indicating that something that an AI system has produced is actually artificial and establishing an advisory group to kind of lead some of these standards and law reform. The AI safety standard I thought was interesting. Um, So that, you know, the premise is that there's a bunch of AI principles and guidelines and frameworks out there. And for organizations, it's hard to kind of make that into something practical, like how do I actually apply these principles, which is something we are staring into all the time with our clients and with organizations saying, okay, we know we have to do something around AI. We're seeing these principles. How do we do this? So it's interesting to me that- It's like taking the, you know, your system must be fair. Yeah, into- Okay, well, what what is that like? Like, like, great, that's an objective. What do I do? Yeah, and so the, the National AI Center has been commissioned with the task of working with industry to build a- best practice and up-to-date voluntary AI risk-based safety framework, which on the one hand, I'm kind of like, that's that could be cool. And, you know, you think about mm-hmm. the work that something like the NIST cybersecurity framework does in cyber, mm-hmm. you know, it's a sort of mm-hmm. industry best practice 
framework and, you know, organizations around the world now kind of have aligned to it and use it. Um, but then the other part of me was actually NIST also has a risk management yep. framework for AI. So is this duplicative and redundant to have, you know, our National AI and, Center try to build yeah, one? Yeah, and there are about a thousand frameworks from others, various yeah, bodies yeah. around the world, right? Which is, and that's one of the real challenges just advising clients in this space that we're seeing is that like, there is no shortage of framework standards things, um, but tying that back to a particular project, what does that actually mean in practice? Uh, what what are the steps that I can put on my project plan to deploy this AI thing safely? Is yeah, is is really difficult. That's where the gap is at the moment. So hopefully, you know, proof will be in the pudding with those kinds of standards and guidelines. Whether they will will help with that problem. Um, so that's the guardrails, right? So there's some formal regulatory legal guardrails on high risk and there's some voluntary industry work on the on kind of lower risk or broader things. Another direction that the government is going is um, tying into updates to existing laws in this space. There's this long list in the uh, interim response paper of just crossover areas where the existing law reform is going on and there's going to be an AI impact. So, you know, you've got the privacy law reform, you've got the cybersecurity strategy and cybersecurity type law reforms. You've got um, law reform around mis and disinformation and big and platforms and how do we manage that? You've got IP and copyright and how does that feed into the training data sets for generative AI and other things? Do, uh, does AI get copyright in their productions? You've got the ongoing ACCC digital platforms work. Um, you've got a bunch of work around generative AI in education. So they're, they're kind of pointing to all of these areas where there is current law reform and saying, well, you know, the the dedicated law will deal with the high risk, but there's a stack of things that AI is going to challenge or change in these other areas. And we're going to need to look at that on a case-by-case basis. Yeah. The, um, the report says that there's at least 10 legislative frameworks that may require amendments to respond to the applications of AI. And I think we touched on this when we did our sort of um, summary episode number 76 of the consultation, which is that, yeah, there's a lot of work that can can get done just by moving some of these regulatory reforms forward. I mean, privacy is obviously one close to our heart and we've been pushing it very hard um, and laboriously for some time, but um, there are some core kind of practices and principles that will come through and that will do a lot of work in this space. And it's almost a bit cut before the horse to go and think about, do we need something new? And, uh, you know, from an AI perspective, if, if we've got some of these things in train, but um, I think this is also where, you know, I've always come kind of come back to that sort of that political question as well, which is like, how does the government sort of manage the fact that it's got a, a backlog of reforms that needs to move through and move forward? And if this is now another one, you know, a new sort of approach to AI, is it behind, you know, is it sort of scheduled in behind these and what's where's the kind of political will and emphasis and prioritisation? So we're sort of putting this into that, um, into that bucket. Yeah, no, that, yeah, uh, totally. And I mean, one of my just concerns when we say we're going to deal with these risks by updating the specific laws for that particular 
thing is that there is a risk of fragmentation and a risk of uh, having different standards for the same thing applied in different contexts. So this is something we, we resist in privacy law reform as well, actually, is that there is a privacy act and we want to keep all of the privacy rules in that privacy act. What we don't want is a privacy in banking law and a privacy in technology law and a privacy in medical records law, although we mostly do have separate medical records laws. But so um, I think one risk is like managing that coordination of standards and requirements so that you can, you know, if you're building an AI system, you don't have to build it completely differently depending on what industry it's getting deployed in. So the last two uh, directions that are in the paper are around international engagement and domestic investment. International engagement, um, you know, unsurprisingly, this is uh, an international conversation and some of the governments uh, around the world have kind of even gone out a little bit further and quicker than Australia has in terms of having draft legislation or having made announcements or conducted summits and so forth. Um, and so certainly there's a, uh, a recognition of that within this paper and that the Australian government needs to keep engaging with those international counterparts to shape that kind of AI governance and, you know, so and, and frankly, as a matter of sort of pragmatism, some of those conversations, for example, with frontier models are probably more likely going to come through governments like the US than Australia. And so to sort of be uh, aware of that and to, to try to connect in and shape those conversations, um, if you're going to, you know, influence open AI, it's probably going to be, be done through that international conversation. It's uh, It's a recognition that, probably for the most part, we're going to be consumers of these technologies, right, that are developed out of the US or the EU or elsewhere rather than, you know, Australian grown things. And that final directional piece around domestic investment, again, just, um, you know, keeping in mind the opportunity side and the capability side of AI, that there's still work to be done in terms of funding skills growth and research and, and adoption. And so there's some programs that are listed in the, in the paper around promoting that. So what, Jordan? Yeah. So what? <laughs> um, it's a good question. Uh, it's been, it's gotten pretty good reviews, honestly, from, from commentators. I, I think that just the responses to this that I've seen around the traps have been relatively positive. It seems to me like a, you know, pretty reasonable initial response. It's useful to kind of point the way. I mean, we, it is slightly slow in my view. Like, you know, you've got a, a European AI Act. The Europeans have legislated. The, a few other countries. Canada's got a kind of guidelines and policies in place that are touching generative AI. You've got the US executive order, and we're just now setting a direction. So you know that's that's potential criticism. But honestly, I don't think you want to rush this stuff. Um, it's such a state of flux at the moment, and it is useful to kind of fast follow to see what how the international conversation is developing and um, make considered choices for the Australian context. So, I mean, broadly, I'm positive. I think it's, I mean, the most you can ask for is that it's balanced and reasoned. Um, I do share your sentiment, which is, I think, um, you know, if there was to be a criticism from me, it's that I don't feel like the government's really shown its hand. Like you can't really see <laughs> what it wants mm. to do here. It's sort of, you know, on the on one hand this and on the other hand that and it's a little bit of that and we could consider mm. mandatory and but also voluntary and um, so we don't have a real sentiment for where it wants to go. 
but I also totally get that. I mean, again, that political context is like if you signpost that you're going to, you know, you want to enact AI legislation um, and you're kind of, you know, towards the back end of a term of government and the question would be, okay, so when are you going to get that done by? And there's a backlog of other things to, that have been committed to and not yet, you know, commenced legislation. So I, I understand mm-hmm. why that's the case. Um, and, you know, uh, I think there's enough there, as you say, to keep the conversation moving forward. And that's probably what we can ask for at this point. Well, that's a good place to leave it, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't know what the next steps are. The The government hasn't committed to a like final discussion paper or report on this consultation as far as I'm aware, other than implying the existence of a final by interim. <laughs> yeah. So, so we'll just, we'll, we'll track the government response and see, um, see how that develops. But uh, Arj, happy birthday, mate. I hope you enjoyed your report. I uh, loved it. Thank you. But hopefully we don't have to wait for your next birthday for the next installment, but True. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. Thanks Jordan. I'll catch see you next time. week, mate. Bye. See ya.